DOS's commission meeting of Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022 to order. I am the DOS commission president, Martha Knudsen. This commission meeting is being conducted pursuant to the provisions of the Brown Act and recent executive orders issued by the governor to facilitate teleconferencing to reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission at public meetings. Ordinarily, the Brown Act sets strict rules for teleconferencing. The governor recently signed a new amendment to the Brown Act to allow continued use of teleconferencing for public meetings during a state of emergency, provided that commissions such as ours make certain findings. To comply with this legal requirement, item 4A on this morning's agenda is the request to consider whether continued use of teleconferencing will minimize health risks and whether our commission is able to use teleconferencing in a manner that allows public participation and transparency. As noted on the agenda, members of the public may observe this teleconference meeting via sfgovtv.org and sfgovtv channel 78, and they may offer public comment by calling the published public comment phone number. I'd like to welcome the members of the public and staff who are watching us live on sfgovtv. The commission asks and thanks you for your patience during these unprecedented times. We respectfully ask the public to have patience and expect delays and gaps during the meeting, particularly during public comment. And I always want to thank the people who behind the scenes are making this possible. Justin Chico, our commission secretary, and uh, the staff at SFGovTV. We're very thankful for that. To eliminate background interference, all panelists and presenters are asked to mute themselves when not speaking or waiting to present. The San Francisco HSA DOS Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Uh, Mr. Secretary, can you please take our roll today? Thank you, President Knudsen. Commissioners, please respond with present when I call your name. President Martha Knudsen. Present. Vice President Janet Spears. Present. Commissioner Sasha Bidner. Present. Commissioner Wanda Zhang. Present. Commissioner Michelle Carrington. Present. Commissioner Nelson Lum. Present. Commissioner Barbara Sklar. We'll call back, uh, Commissioner Sklar is gonna call back in, so we'll we'll check later. And DOS Executive Director, Kelly Dearman. Present. President Knudsen, we have a quorum. Great, thank you so much. Commissioners, the next item, item three is communications. We'd like to provide further instructions for the public comment process. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda and during general public comment. Both channels 78, and sfgovtv.org are streaming the numbers across the screen. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone call. 
During each public comment period, viewers and callers will be instructed to call 1415-655-0001, access code 2481-590-1470, pound, and then followed by the pound sign again. When connected, you will hear meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or radio. You will have three minutes to speak. You will be informed by the moderator when you have 30 seconds left. After 30 seconds, you will be muted and placed back to listening mode. Alternatively, public comment can be submitted by email to ravi.derbige at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it'll be forwarded to the commission and will be included as part of the official docket. Are there any other communications from the DAS commission members? Okay, and we'll move great. to the next item. Okay, great, thank you. Um, commissioners, your next item is agenda item four, approving the minutes of Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022 DAS commission meeting. Are there any questions or comments from the commission regarding the Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022? 22 DOS Commission meeting minutes. And hearing and seeing none, uh, Mr. Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to comment on this item? Moderator, please open the phone lines for public comment. We will allow some time for callers to submit their request. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Great, then hearing no further requests to speak on this item, is there a motion to approve the Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022 DOS Commission meeting minutes? I move. Right. Commissioner Bittner has moved. Uh, Commissioner Jung has seconded. Uh, Mr. Secretary, can you please take a roll call vote to approve the Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022 DOS Commission meeting minutes? President Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Janet Y. Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Zhang, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Spar is not available yet. And we have a unanimous decision. Okay, great, thank you so much. Commissioners, your next item is agenda item 4A, a resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings at, DOS, at the DOS Commission. On September 16, 2021, the governor signed AB 361, a bill that amends the Brown Act to allow local policy bodies to continue to meet by teleconferencing during a state of emergency, providing that the product bodies make certain findings at least once every 30 days. San Francisco continues to operate under Mayor Breed's emergency order of July 31st, 2020, which prohibits in-person public meetings other than Board of Supervisor meetings to ensure the safety of public po policy body members, city staff, and the public. The DOS Commission has met remotely during COVID-19 pandemic in a manner that allows public participation and transparency while minimizing health risks that would be present with in-person meetings. 
Under the recently signed amendment to the Brown Act, if the DOS Commission will continue to, rem to meet remotely, we must find there are still risks from meeting in person and that the DOS Commission resolves to teleconference in a manner that protects the participation rights of the public. Are there any comments or questions from the committing Commission regarding this item? Then hearing and seeing none, uh, Mr. Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to comment on this item? President Knudsen, before I begin, uh, I did want to say that the number that we dialed in for the commission meeting was incorrect. And I'd like to change that to the people could dial in 2482, the public for public comment. 2482, the code, the access code, 2482-977-6643. So I'd like to amend that. Okay, thank you for that. Yep. Okay, so moderator, please open the phone line for public comment. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, we have no callers in the queue. Okay, great. Then hearing no, no further requests to speak on this item, is there a motion to adopt a resolution finding that city officials continue to recommend social distancing and that the DOS Commission will continue to meet by teleconferencing with opportunities for a pu a public participation? I move. Okay, moved by Commissioner Bittner, a second by Vice President Spears. Uh, Mr. Secretary, can you please take a roll call vote uh, to approve the proposed resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings? President Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Janet Y. Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yeah. Commissioner Wanda Zhang, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Spar is not here yet. Okay. We have a unanimous decision. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Commissioners, the next item is exec our executive director's report and welcome executive director Kelly Dearman. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Um, okay, I have a few things to report. First, um, I hope you all were able to enjoy some celebrations during Black History Month. Uh, we had uh, the agency put on a wonderful staff-led celebration last week, and we were honored by a visit from uh, Mayor London Breed and um, Board of Supervisors President Shimon Walton. Uh, it was a wonderful uh, celebration and just, I think, made all of us really proud to be part of this agency. I also just want to take a minute and um, mentioned the um, the very unsettling and horrific events that are happening in Ukraine. And we recognize that this will have an impact on um, some staff, commissioners, the public in general. Uh, and um, of course, here in the agency, we make ourselves available for staff um, if um, they have uh, other issues that are that are bubbling up as a result of this. And of course, we all are just hoping for a peaceful resolution very soon. Um, next, I think uh, you all are, you might may or may not be aware that we 
all employees were um, telecommuting and that ends on March 7th. Um, on March 7th, employees will be coming back to the office uh, physically two days, uh, at least two days per week. This also will have um, some effects on our commission as starting in April, we are supposed to be uh, meeting in person. And although we will still have uh, uh, the capabilities to um, do it on the WebEx, but the, um, the mayor is hoping that all commissions will start meeting in person starting um, March 7th. So for us, that'll be in April. And of course, if you have concerns about that, you can let us know. Um, and it will only be uh, commissioners and staff present uh, in person and the rest will be um, broadcast. I also wanna mention that um, what I've been doing with uh, all the staff is I've been going around to each department and letting them know what I've been doing these last months and uh, offering office hours for staff. So it's a really good opportunity for me to get to meet and speak with um, um, as many staff as who will sign up. People are allowed to sign up for 15 minute spots. They can either come alone or they can come with a couple of people. And huge shout out to um, Ravi, who has been uh, working really hard to set this up through this app called Bookings and people can um, sign up really easily. So I'm really looking forward to meeting staff that way. Next up is um, some of you might've heard that Supervisor Mandelman has introduced two public hearing requests that involve DOS and more specifically the Office of the Public Conservator. The first hearing will provide a review of the current status of the city's housing conservatorship pilot program. And the second hearing will review findings from a recent report on LPS conservatorships that was prepared by the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office. <clears throat> Excuse me. Both hearings will be held on March 24th at the Board of Supervisors Public Safety Neighborhood Safety Committee meeting. So I look forward to reporting back to you in April as to how those went. So the uh, Tenderloin Linkages Center was created in response to the mayor's declaration of an emergency in the Tenderloin. And I think I mentioned this last week, that our, last month, that our own Krista Gaeta, who's the director of IHSS, was deployed to lead the coordination of the effort. The goals of the Tenderloin Linkages Center, which we call TLC, uh, are really to prevent overdose deaths and decrease, decrease public drug use. Um, they are taking a collective impact approach. And what this means is the initiative places a priority on equity. It includes community members as part of the collaboration, as well as cross-sector partners. It uses data to learn, adapt, and improve our systems. And it focuses on systems change. We want to build a culture that fosters relationships, trust, and respect across participants. <clears throat> we're currently we're laying the groundwork for how the work will be approached, as well as identifying the services to be offered. And as part of this process, DOS will identify areas where we intersect and services that we can offer directly. Next is the ARP funding American Rescue Plan. The California Department of Aging has issued final guidance and funding allocations for ARP. 
DOS will be receiving $3,362,000 or thereabouts. Um, the ARP funds are to be used for existing Older Americans Act programs. For DOS, this means nutrition programs such as home delivered meals and congregate meals, family caregiver support services, disease prevention programs, the ombudsman program, and legal services program. The funds are one-time only and must be used by September 30th, 2024. The initial plans are to utilize these funds over the next two fiscal years, starting July 1st, 2022. OCP staff are working through the requirements and will present plans on use of these funds at the April commission meeting. So we are excited that we have these funds and you know, we can continue to do our good work. So the Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment, the draft report is currently being shared with you all in addition to the Oversight and Advisory Committee, Service Provider Working Group, and relevant uh, city agencies. I also just want to do a huge shout out to the planning team, that's Aditi, and um, so many staff members at um, DOS who have worked really hard um, to um, ensure that this report was ready to go, this draft report. There will be a presentation for the Service Provider Working Group on March 14th who can then share their feedback to the um, advisory council for their presentation on March 21st. The feedback will be incorporated into the report by April 1st and brought to the joint hearing of the commission and the OAC on April 6th. Okay, I just said a lot of dates, but all you need to know is April 6th is the date when we're gonna do at the big hearing. And as you know, um, the Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment is used to identify service strengths, gaps, and unmet needs. It was guided by three research questions. What are the needs of older adults and adults with disabilities in San Francisco? What are the system level strengths and gaps? What population subgroups may be underserved? It included a variety of activities to inform the report's findings about service gaps and related recommendations for meeting community needs. So these activities included key informant interviews and listening sessions and equity analysis, community research, which included various forums and focus groups, community, ser community services, surveys, sorry, and an integration of the data from the listening sessions with communities of color, the summary of findings and recommendations, LGBTQ older adult survey, and the 2021 Empowered San Francisco Technology Needs Assessment. A really huge lift, but it'll be a great report and will help us inform where we're going next. And I believe that's all I have for now, unless there are any questions. A, a question from Vice President Spears. So the needs assessment, can you tell us, can you just repeat when the Dignity Fund needs assessment will be complete? Sure. The draft is out today. Got it. And then there will be um, a series of the um, service provider working group is going to um, is meeting on March 14th to go over it and then they will provide their feedback to the advisory council uh, for their presentation on March 21st. And then that feedback will go into the report uh, by April 1st and on April 6th, we're gonna have a joint meeting with you all okay. and the advisory council to go over the final report. 
<laughs> I know you told us only worry about April 6th and uh, I and should have just started real worrying. Right. <laughs> I also want to thank you all for those of you who were able to attend some of the listening sessions or the forums. I just want to um, appreciate you for those of you who were able to make that. Mm -hmm. Thank Commissioner Lum. Uh, yes. Uh, I learned recently that the uh, county service officer, Mr. Al Sims, has uh, in, is in the process of uh, resigning from his uh, position. Uh, has there been uh, uh, um, steps established uh, as to how he will be replaced, and whether or not the uh, the, the uh, commissioners here will be uh, involved in the uh, selection process? Okay, so I think Cindy is on the line and we are taking steps to um, to replace him, although we all recognize that he is irreplaceable. Um, but um, he is moving on to a, um, a position that's closer to home for him. Um, but Cindy, can you give us any updates on the hiring process? Sure, thank you, Commissioner Lum. Um, we do have, it has been posted. Uh, we are sharing it with all of our networks um, to far and wide. I know that Al has also shared it um, with various networks that he is involved with. And so it will go through that process. We will then have um, interviews and we will select a panel for the interviews. And then it will go before the recommendations will go before the Board of Supervisors, and then final decisions, and we'll hopefully get someone hired fairly quickly. Thank you. Yeah, I think we can move along. I don't think we have anything else from other commissioners. And just thank you for all the work that you're doing. And uh, of course, and uh, all the enormous work that's gone into the planning, the Dignity Fund plans, and we're going to hear about the area plan today. Um, and at the same time, meeting with staff is, is time consuming, but so important. So the commission wants to thank you for taking the time and for Robbie for doing that um, work that goes into making sure uh, everyone uh, gets a chance to provide you input, which I know you're going to find very, very valuable. Um, and also, I just want to echo your uh, both bringing up uh, Black History Month and also uh, how people are feeling about the situation in Ukraine. So I think that um, both both important uh, frames <laughs> for this month uh, that that are connected. So um, thank you, and we we all are working on the the good things and uh, making sure that we are in a better democracy always. So anyway, with that on your shoulders, <laughs> let's, let's uh, move along and, and uh, recognize uh, our employees. Commissioners, item six is the DOS employee recognition. Executive Director Dearman, President Knudsen and the DOS Commission will honor Michelle Giardina, who has been with the Office of the Public Conservator since August of 2018. Um, it is with tremendous pleasure um, that we award Michelle as the Employee of the Month for March 2022. Michelle has been with the Office of the Public Conservator since August of 2018. 
she joined the office with the breadth of experience and knowledge gained from Citywide Clinic in San Francisco and her graduate education from UC Berkeley. Uh, Michelle is a model social worker. In her role as a deputy conservator, she is clinically astute, proactive, detail-oriented, empathetic, and assertive when providing support to her clients. She listens to her clients intently and, address, and addresses their needs and concerns from a place of genuine care and compassion. Additionally, her work ethic is highly lauded, not only by her colleagues, but also by providers. She is kind and approachable, and her colleagues often seek her support and consultation. She is an ardent advocate. She is steady and objective when confronted with complex tasks that require swift and equitable resolutions. Although the casework has been extraordinarily challenging due to the pandemic, she adapted well to the various changes and never ceased to provide a high quality of care to her clients. Michelle wholeheartedly deserves the award of Employee of the Month and the Office of the Public Conservator and DOS is honored to have her on our team. Thank you so much, Michelle. And yes, we applaud Michelle. I can see you, your name today here. I just want to also uh, recognize you and there you are. Welcome. Um, and I know that there's going to be and is a lot of uh, focus on your department right now. So what's on your shoulders is important this year. Uh, we all look forward to your success and hope that this department will um, continue to work on these issues that are so, so complicated and, and difficult. So thank you for your work. And I'm very pleased to see the recognition today. So thank you. If you want to just say some few words. <laughs> thank you. Yes, um, it's, I, I really appreciate the recognition. Uh, the work is hard and sometimes it does feel like we're just, um, plowing through things. <laughs> um, you know, I really want to, it's it's social work month, March. So I wanted to acknowledge um, my fellow social workers, uh, especially the frontline people, uh, the people at the clinics, the people at the hospitals, the people with our clients every day on the front line. Um, and I also want to acknowledge my team. Um, it's a fantastic team. Uh, everybody works super hard trying to make all of this work. Um, I also really want to thank the city for its support during COVID. Um, you know, the COVID leave time meant the world to me. Um, I, I had a child during COVID and uh, the ability to take that time to take care of my family uh, meant that I didn't have to leave this job. Um, so I really appreciate that the city did everything they could to support us to keep going. Um, and last but not least, I just want to thank my family, my husband, and my parents. Um, they do so much to help keep me going, watching my kid, uh, doing all the things that, that we got to do to keep going. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs> we can move into item seven. Uh, Commissioner Archie, Commissioner Sparrow just called in. Uh, I'm not sure if she wanted to speak real quick. Commissioner Sparrow, can you hear us? This is Commissioner Sklar. Can you hear me now? Mm -hmm. Yes. We can all hear you. Okay, we had some technical difficulties. I now am online. Thank you. Okay, Great. thank you, well, Commissioner Sklar. 
Welcome. Thank you. Okay, Commissioner, item seven is the advisory council report presented by the advisory council president, Diane Lawrence. Good morning, commissioners and uh, executive director Dearman. Um, I wanted to make a report on the February 16th um, advisory council meeting. Um, want to begin, I don't want to begin, but I'm going to begin on a sad note. We lost um, advisory council member and member of the oversight and advisory council for the dignity fund, Beverly Taylor. Um, on, the, on February 19th. Um, in my report, I um, detailed some of the comments that came from her fellow um, advisory council members, so I won't reread those. But she was a fierce advocate for her community. And in reading, um, rereading both the Senior Beat article and um, her obituary yesterday, it wasn't just her community um, since her retirement for the um, for older for older adults, she was hardworking in every single thing she did and was an advocate from early on, both in education and a real um, real pioneer. So um, she will be she will be missed. But I think I when I say um, I think I'm, all of the council members would agree. It was just a pleasure to have us to have her on the council. Um, to get to know her and to work with her. Um, as I noted, I did a couple of site visits with her at the George Davis Center and she she just lit up the room when she walked in, knew everyone and made sure that as you, that you you began to know everyone as well and um, introduced us around. So she will she will be missed and she will be a hard act to follow. We are working um, to fill her seat along with Eleanor Lurie's on the OAC. And now with the dates that uh, Director, Executive Director Dearman just gave, um, something for me to worry about to get those filled um, as soon as we can. Um, the Community Living Campaign in their March monthly newsletter also focused on um, Mrs. Taylor. So the major focus of our February 16th meeting was the area plan, area plan on aging uh, that Aditi and um, with the help of Fanny Lapitan, if there were questions, gave, um, gave to us. Um, it was the, um, they detailed the, um, the outlines of the plan, the monies, um, primary focus being on seniors because we're dealing with Older Americans Act monies. Um, the members, we um, had the report prior to the meeting, so we were able to go over it. Uh, there were some tweaks we needed to make, and but the details I'm uh, not going to go into because Aditi will be presenting to you all in a few moments. Uh, there was no Dignity Fund update um, as there had been no meeting um, that month. Uh, same with the LGBTQ updates. There were a couple. Um, there may be a panel on the LGBTQ survey, which I mentioned to you all last week at the AAA conference in May um, of this year. There's also a discussion on cultural competency and on the collection of sexual orientation 
and gender identity data, or um, as it's often referred to as Sochi data. The departments of aging, aging, both in the city and statewide, are doing a really good job collecting the data. But departments of public health, both at the local and state levels, are not. And the data is necessary for um, funding and program develop. and this is development. And this has been a requirement for a number of years now. So it continues to be something um, that uh, more work needs to be done on both locally and at this, definitely at the state level. Um, we spent a good deal of our time talking about the site visit procedures. Um, and um, we reviewed the procedure. We uh, was well received by members. Everybody thought that would work well for them. Um, and we were all reminded to let her know what sites we were would be visiting. And one site um, that has been um, taken, if you will, or assigned is, and that's the Curry Center. So I'll have a report on that soon. We continue to reach out to the supervisors for membership. Um, the, uh, we're gonna start as soon as our membership chair returns from visiting her mother-in-law in India. We're gonna begin scheduling meetings with the supervisors. Um, this is really getting to be a concern. Uh, Marie Jobling of the Community Living Campaign offered to get the word out on membership needs. And I provided her with the districts that did not have representation. And outside of the meeting, I actually went to the Dignity Fund Coalition uh, meeting on, I think it was on the 25th, and got three, one self-volunteer, who I'll be following up with, and two possible volunteers, uh, two possible candidates, and work is being done um, to reach out to those candidates for participation. Um, so that was that was really good. And then uh, one of the last um, things on members updates, Margaret Graff, who is a District 4 representative for Supervisor Marr, reported on um, a Board of Supervisors Committee meeting, Public Safety and Neighborhood Services, um, that Supervisors Mar Haney and St Stephanie are on, and that she attended, and um, stakeholders included self-help for the elderly, disability action, independent living resource centers, and there were uh, reports from uh, DOS, the Planning Department, homeless and Homelessness and Supportive Housing, Mayor's Office on Hand Housing, and then SF General. And there were some concerns expressed about accurate um, accounting. Everybody seems to have different numbers that they're working with, quantifiable needs. Um, so those discussions are ongoing. Uh, and we will meet on March 16th. And at that meeting, we will approve the area plan. Are there any questions? Any questions from commissioners, comments? Okay, well, as usual, a lot of work is being done. Thank you, Ms. Lawrence, for the report. I also just wanna uh, acknowledge uh, what you said about Beverly Taylor. It's a big loss. And uh, she was such, as you said, someone that filled the room. Uh, and that kind of person is just special. And the mm -hmm. fact that she contributed um, so much uh, for so long uh, is just a, a 
important for all of us <laughs> to, to see as a role model and mm -hmm. emulating it even 25% would be an accomplishment for the rest of us, I think. So <laughs> that, that kind of person. So pre, I think all the commissioners have received uh, information about her, taken the time to read about her life. So we really appreciate the fact that that was distributed to us. And uh, thank you so much for that. And then uh, just a sort of more in the weeds question, if we have people that we think might be good for the advisory committee, is it appropriate to contact you? Um, yes. That, that sort of thing. I know that there are all these, you know, that they have to be in supervisor districts, things like that. But if we're thinking of someone in our community that would be good for this, we should let you know at this point. You can let us know and then also encourage them to contact their supervisors. But it does okay. help us when we go to a supervisor to say, hey, uh, or, you know, we've got somebody for you. Uh, okay. That's actually how I got on the council. Um, somebody in the neighborhood recommended me to Supervisor Tang. Okay. <laughs> so if we have people like Diane Lawrence that you know of, <laughs> please, please let us know because the advisory committee is a great, great group and we just want to keep that completely full of people. So we did. We did. Um, anything Thanks. else? No problem at all. Um, We'll let the uh, Mr. Secretary call the next item then, unless there was anything else. I don't think so. Go ahead. Commissioners, item eight is the joint legislative report, also presented by the Advisory Council President, Diane Lawrence. Um, I'm here to report on the joint ledge committee. Um, it's going to be an interesting year, I think, as we move forward. For as, um, as you know, we're in the second year of a two-year cycle. So if um, bills did not make it out of committee by January 31st, then they are considered dead pursuant to joint rule 56, which I've detailed here. Um, and so these were the bills that I've listed are the ones that have been um, removed from, uh, from our report and from consideration. The numbers may come back. The numbers don't go away for this legislative session. So we may very well see some of these numbers back with entirely different um, information. Um, we'll update the uh, list to include those that are being sponsored um, by California Senior Legislature. We do know that the personal needs allowance um, bill will be, request will be reintroduced um, in the previous uh, legislation the uh, needs allowance was uh, recommended to go up from $35 a month to $80 a month, and the new bill will bring it down to $50 a month. Um, as I've mentioned before, the personal needs allowance amount is set, was set in the 1980s, and the first increase in legis the first increase legislation was introduced in 2014. So here we are eight years later, and we're still working with the same number. So we will, um, we've asked the council that once that bill is reintroduced uh, for us to support it. Um, there'll be a specific legislation that CSL uh, that's been picked up and that's noted in your, um, it should be noted in the report. And if not, we'll have more details on that uh, next month. February 18th was the deadline for all new bill introduction. So our March 16th meeting will um, have a lot more meat to it, and as will my report in April. Um, we did um, are looking at one piece of federal legislation 
Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky's uh, legislation would, is on stopping unfair Medicaid recoveries. What happens now is that um, an estate um, can be um, asked to um, reimburse for Medicaid um, uh, expenses. And um, so we will um, look at that going forward. Um, there's some discussion on a behavioral health report and that's being shared with all the um, joint ledge members. Um, and um, Deputy Director uh, Cindy Kaufman shared information on the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council's report on the mental health crisis in skilled nursing facility, uh, at skilled nursing facility with the residents. And that, um, <clears throat> that information is being shared during uh, with supervisors during office visits, and that's also been shared with the um, ledge committee. And um, I think that's all I have for right now. Okay. okay, great. Any questions from the commissioners on the legislative report? Okay, well, thank you so much again, uh, Ms. Lawrence, and we'll move on to item nine. Commissioners. Item nine is the case report presented by Daniel Gallagher. Good morning, commissioners and executive director Dearman. Um, so I'm, uh, my first item on the agenda is the case study writing project. Um, and um, the print and PDF lay, layouts are complete now. Our distribution plan is also complete I don't know if we can share what I just sent to Ravi and Chico on the screen, a little preview of the, um, the cover of our report. Is that possible, Ravi or Chico? To share at this point. Hi, Dan. Yes, give me one second. I am pulling it up right now. I just want to give a little preview of what I've been talking about for the last several meetings um, and let you know that this is um, ready to be distributed at this point. So once we can see it, um, and again, it's just the cover pages that, um, for the report that is in, uh, in a booklet form, it is roughly 38 pages. And again, this illustrates the, um, the, the pivots that nonprofits in San Francisco made during the pandemic and continue to make uh, to keep older adults and adults with disabilities um, engaged and connected to their programming. So you can see there um, <clears throat> to the right is the uh, front cover and to the left is the back cover and um, uh, and and all the 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 um, nonprofits organizations that are profiled are pictured there in the front cover. Uh, and then if we scroll down, um, this is the inside of, of those covers. So to the left is the introduction, um, and then. To the right, that is the um, 
the inside of the back cover. So um, again, there's there's eight agencies that are profiled, um, and then there's about I think three or four organizations that are uh, mentioned as well. Um, just not in, in the detail that the other agencies are for. So um, that again is just a little bit of a, of a, of a preview there. And, um, and then in terms of, of distribution here, um, we uh, intend to send a, uh, these to the mayor's office, to the board of super, all members, all 11 members of the Board of Supervisors, to the DOS Commission, to the DOS Advisory Council, uh, to the Dignity Fund Oversight and Advisory Committee, um, to all San Francisco state legislators, um, and to the governor's office. Um, and then also to the California Master Plan Steering Committee as well. So those are, um, those are some of the um, targets for our distribution plan. So if there's no questions about that, I'll move on. Case programming for uh, March, um, as Executive Director Gehrman mentioned, um, our March 14th meeting will be um, um, the service provider working group meeting with research development associates. And then in April, um, Mary Flett, who is a prominent national speaker and writer on all issues related to aging, will be speaking to the case membership. Um, and as you can see there, uh, Dr. Flett is a clinical psychologist with 20 years of experience. Um, and hope to share her wisdom and legacy uh, to inform us how we can age well and, we, and age better as we get older. So we look forward to that on, uh, on it in our April case meeting, case membership meeting. The case budget request, um, as you recall from the last meeting, we are supporting a caregiver's um, support request of $20,000 and then um, the hybrid programming uh, capabilities of $525,000. We had also shared the case letter to Executive Director Dearman um, uh, in support of both of those uh, requests. And you have that in advance of this meeting. And, and I did wanna share that case is also supporting the Dignity Fund Coalition's um, uh, campaign, the Keep Us Connected campaign of requests for funding of three and a half million dollars over two years. Um, and, and I believe you have the um, the Keep Us Connected campaign flyer in advance of this meeting as well that details um, 
what that 3.5 million would fund over a two year period of time. Um, so you have that, I, I don't think I need to, um, to detail that for you in this meeting. Again, the service provider working group is meeting with research development associates on the 14th, and then um, we will take our comments to the Dignity Fund Coalition Oversight Advisory Committee on March 21. And that concludes my report for today. Um, well, thank you, Mr. Gallagher. Are there any comments or questions from the commission regarding the case report? Seeing any from commissioners, um, I wanted to congratulate you on that report. We, it was a lot of work and uh, looking forward to uh, what you have documented. I know going into this pandemic, we had no idea what would happen and how it would feel coming out, hopefully coming out or coming into a new and different stage. So I think it's gonna be an important piece of work for all of us. So thank you for that and uh, all the contributions you're making to the Dignity Fund report. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I think, uh, uh, Mr. Secretary, are we ready then for item 10? We are. Commissioners, item 10 is public comment. An opportunity for members of the public to address the commission on matters that are not on today's calendar. Moderator, please open the phone lines for public com com comment. We will allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. That concludes the members of the public that wish to address the commission under this item. Commissioners, your next item is item 11, old business. Commissioners, Please indicate by raising your hand if there's any old business that you'd like to discuss. Any, no old business? Seeing none, no further business. I'll hand it over to President Knudsen to call the next item. Thank you so much. Um, commissioners, the next agenda item is item 12, new business. The first two items are informational only. After that, we'll hear 12A through 12F. Those are action items that will require a vote by the commission. The first item is a review of fiscal year 2022 to 2023 area plan update for the Depart California Department of Aging and Executive Director Kelly Dearman and Aditi Valori will present this item. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good so morning, much. President Knudsen. Sorry, Kelly, I didn't mean to step on you. It's fine. I was just going to say, you take it away. Go ahead. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Uh, good morning, President Knudsen, Vice President Spears, and Commissioners. Uh, my name is Aditi Valore. Uh, I'm an analyst with the Human Services Agency Planning Unit. Uh, and along with Executive Director Dearman, I'm here today to present a draft on the Area Agency on Aging Area Plan Update for the fiscal year 2022-23. Um, this presentation represents the second of two public hearings on the area plan update, which provide the opportunity for the public to comment on its development and content. Um, I'll begin by sharing my screen 
to walk through some slides um, and share a brief overview of the update process and its purpose, um, and then move on to key highlights from the report. And we'll call on uh, Executive Director Dearman at that time to also weigh in. Are folks able to see my screen okay? Yep. Sorry, I can can everyone see my screen? Yes. Let's go to DC. Perfect. Thank you. Um, all right, we'll get started. So as I mentioned, we'll talk about an overview of the area plan update and then provide some highlights from key sections of the report, including population estimates, anticipated service levels for the fiscal year 2022 to 2023 period, and um, some updates on our narrative goals and objectives for this um, area plan. So just as a reminder, especially for those commissioners who are newer to the commission and may be less familiar with this process, the purpose of the four-year area plan is to satisfy an Older Americans Act requirement. Um, we must submit as the Area Agency on Aging for San Francisco um, a four-year area plan, a strategic planning document to the California Department on Aging. Um, the purpose of this plan is to assess demographic trends and population needs and describe how we're going to address those needs using Older Americans Act dollars. Um, so one of the things that I want to note for you is that um, while DOS really um, considers our remit to address issues of aging as well as disability, um, the focus of Older Americans Act dollars are really um, directed towards older people um, rather than adults with disability 18 to 59. Um, they represent a smaller portion of DOS's overall funding. And so some of the programs in this report are specifically tied to Older Americans Act dollars. Where we can, we've kind of described um, how these programs and services funded by the Older Americans Act fit into our broader um, service portfolio and strategy to address the needs of older people as well as people with disabilities. But just want to notice uh, why you may see a, a specific focus on seniors and older people. Um, so what happens uh, beyond the four-year area plan is that each year annually, we provide an update in those interim years to um, to share our progress. So we are currently in an update year um, on the area plan for the period from 2021 to 2024. Um, this particular year's area plan is due to the state on May 1st, 2022. Um, so we'll be coming back to you with a finalized version of the report incorporating comments um, from you all today um, at next commission, and that will be an item put forward to the group for a vote. To give you a general sense of the timeline for this particular process, um, CDA released its guidance on what needs to be included in our area plan update um, in mid-December. Um, we've previously presented, as Diane Lawrence um, shared with you, to the Advisory Council uh, last month and are presenting the same draft to you today um, to provide additional comment. We'll be incorporating your feedback collectively from February and this, this meeting today um, and come back to the Advisory Council in a couple of weeks 
to present the final report to them. We'll bring the final report forward at our April 6th meeting for the commission to vote on and then submit um, in April prior to our May 1 deadline. So now we actually get to get to the juicy parts, um, some highlights from this update. I'm gonna start out with an update on our population. So uh, as part of the area plan update, we include uh, more recent data from the census. Um, this is particularly the 2019 American Community Survey, five-year estimates, um, to give us a sense of who the people are in our community that we're serving with Older Americans Act dollars. So we have on the left here, um, San Francisco seniors age 60 and older make up about 185,000 people in San Francisco. Um, and one of the main things to note, not a lot of change from year to year in the racial and ethnic composition of this population. We're seeing primarily um, Asian and Pacific Islander identified individuals as well as white individuals make up the senior population. But when we look at seniors in poverty, there are some important racial disparities to note. Um, although African-Americans and black individuals make up only about 6% of seniors consistent with their share of the population citywide, they make up nearly double um, the, the share of seniors living in poverty. Um, Asian-Americans and Pacific Islanders also make up a slightly greater share of individuals living in poverty. Similarly, folks who identify as Latinx and Hispanic. Um, notably, white individuals are vastly underrepresented among those living in poverty out of the senior population. Moving on to our anticipated service levels, these are our targets for fiscal year 2022-2023. Um, and I think as we've seen um, over the past couple of years, really one of the main takeaways for DOS has been a focus on um, continuity and making sure that we are continuing to meet the needs of the community during this pandemic. And so um, for those of you who are more familiar with previous area plans, we've seen greater shifts um, in terms of the kinds of service levels that we've been able to project from year to year. Um, this year, we have many services for which there's no change in anticipated service levels. We're just continuing to maintain those targets and provide services at those levels. Um, we've seen minor increases in elder abuse prevention services. This is really bringing us back to prior service levels that had dropped somewhat last year. We're seeing very minor decreases in home delivered meals and congregate meals that are being projected. This is really a reflection of operational adjustments. Um, these contracts went out last year. So really service providers have had an opportunity to understand what demand looks like and engagement in services under the pandemic context and have just mo modified slightly their calibration of anticipated service levels for the coming fiscal year. Nutrition counseling and nutrition education services did decrease by a slightly larger quantity. Um, and really what we're seeing here is a reflection of changes in community demand for these services under virtual service models and hybrid service models. Um, so again, OCP in partnership with our service provider network have brought down those anticipated service levels in a reflection of the changed consumer demand while we are still in hybrid services. I think we might reasonably expect as we return to more in-person services that these service levels would return to prior levels. 
Right. I'm going to hand over uh, the mic to uh, Director Dearman to talk a little bit about some updates with respect to our narrative goals and objectives. Great. Thank you, Aditi. In terms um, of our goals, you can see it's to support a robust network of community services, uh, protecting people from abuse and neglect, providing consumer-centered programming uh, that is responsive to each person's situation and needs, conducting planning and evaluation of our work, and uh, supporting our workforce. Next slide, please. So, um, in terms of the first goal, um, one of the things that we're looking at, one of the objectives is to promote positive nutrition status and reduce food insecurity. And we're doing that um, by making sure we have culturally relevant nutrition services, that we have hybrid options available and really looking at, um, you know, socially what works, congregate meals or um, home delivered meals, but really trying to meet the needs of each client. Next slide. Um, so for our second one, um, this is to develop strategies to prevent eviction and homelessness. Here we're talking a lot about our HomeSafe uh, program, which serves individuals at risk of or currently experiencing homelessness. So we are working really closely with the um, uh, homeless and supportive housing services to transition individuals with high needs who are not able to safely live in permanent supportive housing into board and care facilities. So, um, and as you can see, we got more money from the state to continue this program. And um, um, so far it's working and we're hoping for continued positive outcomes. Next slide. Um, so, uh, this one to streamline access to resources across the department and the community to promote timely access of needed resources. Here we are in the uh, process of developing our online resource directory. I know it feels like we've been talking about this for a really long time, but then the pandemic hit. And so, um, but we do, we, this is really going to happen uh, this year. We have a, um, we're trying to select a vendor right now who will help us with this. We also know that, um, that the online resource directory is not everything, that there are people who are obviously going to need, um, you know, other ways of receiving this information. But we do think this will be good for us and for our service providers as a really easy place that they can go search and find out what else is out there to share with the community. Next slide. Uh, so goal four is um, uh, to uh, conduct planning and evaluation of our work. And we have done this uh, in several ways. One is we've seen it in the BIPOC uh, research and analysis that we did, which we'll be talking about shortly, and that was um, the learning sessions we did with nearly 170 consumers and providers and other community members. Um, and we are, as we have discussed many times today, conducting the Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment, which will be out, uh, which will be published in April. But in this way, we're really able to make sure we are serving the needs of um, of those we are trying to serve in the best way possible, you know, culturally and um, and um, making sure that we're doing everything possible to, to be an effective program. 
Next slide. And then in terms of supporting our workforce, uh, really excited that we are uh, planning a training series uh, in, for this year. I know we're going to do it internally as well as externally with the idea of um, giving people a better understanding of what is available in the community and how to um, work best with, with our clients and to increase uh, our knowledge of all the resources that we have out there. And it's also an opportunity um, for us to see how we can help navigate people through the system. So those are um, some uh, objectives that we're doing within each of the goals. So I'll bring down the slides and we can open the floor for discussion. Um, I just want to say thank you for the excellent presentation. Um, I know how much work went into this and I uh, really appreciate that you've had synthesized it so clearly. Uh, it means a lot to us as a commission. Um, do we have any questions and comments from commissioners? This is our chance to provide input on the report. Um, I'm just um, wondering what resources would be on the directory. So about the online directory? Okay. Yeah. The what's the question? What resources will be on the on the directory. And also, are you going to have um, beta testers or anything? Wait, I'm sorry, I didn't understand. The last it was a question about, I think, beta testing. Is that right, Commissioner Bittner? Mm, well, I had two questions. One okay. about the kinds of resources to be honored, and one about Testing for maximum people with disabilities and seniors. Okay, so the first question was about the online resource directory and what is going to be in it. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so it's my understanding, and maybe Cindy, you might have a, um, um, you might be able to speak more. Uh, eloquently on it, but it's my understanding that the goal is to put all of the resources that are available for um, older adults and people with disabilities. Cindy? Yeah, and I, I will be honest, commissioners, we're right in the middle of the RFP process, so I need to choose my words sort of carefully. Um, but yes, the idea is to, for it to be um, a very robust um, directory in having both information of, of being a resource directory that is that is maintained um, and current as well as potentially um, a linkage to services as well. And it will cover a wide spectrum um, of resources and services and connect also with our um, the hope is to connect with both of our, our community, but also outside of our community as well, um, including health systems and that type of thing. That's wonderful. And um, do you know if you're going to have any testers like have the website to make the, is, um, 
you know, I pass the food to everyone. Yeah, so that is the hope. And the I will be honest that there are um, very specific deliverables within the RFP that um, include the testing. And so part of what we want to we want to make sure is that we have got stakeholder engagement at every phase, both as to what is going into the um, directory, but also testing it for accessibility. And I think that is something that is really important to us. So it will be, we are in the, the beginning of it now. So it's something that we can make sure we have built in um, as part of the process. Yeah, I would like to really keep updated on this, and I'm also, and when you get to the testing part and you're looking at resources, I would, I could look at it as well and see, you know. Excellent. Commissioner, you have moved to the top of the list, so <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I think it's wonderful. I know it's not the only way to get involved, but for a lot of people with disabilities, the internet is the way they get yeah. involved. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. So stay tuned. We're very excited. We are as far along as we are. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you, Commissioner. Any other commissioners? Uh, yeah, Commissioner, Commissioner John, may I speak? Yeah, go ahead, and then we'll do Commissioner John. Go ahead, Commissioner So, um, having been involved with one of the first information referral directories in the city when there wasn't the technology there is today, we still needed to include an RF, RFP, I'm way in the beginning, training for the professionals. And I'm wondering if you will have that concept involved in it because we found, you know, even though we all do that and we all are referring all the time, there's better ways to be trained to be able to use all the incredible amounts of information that get put into something like this. And um, certainly it was the interest in people who were funding it that we would make sure that the people that were going to use it were capable of using it. So I'm wondering if there's a concept of that including in it. Yeah, so we are, that is something that we do have, um, we work with IT now all the time in having, and they have specific terminology for it, in getting folks trained. So we will primarily, um, it will start with with um, the Benefits and Resource Hub, which will be for, for DOC itself, the primary users, and get, making sure that they are all trained, as well as our CBOs. Right. And so so then it is kind of with the, what is the term? So that it's kind of a train the trainer. Once those core folks know, then they can also assist, like if people come into any of the computer labs or things like that, they can assist with with those folks and helping them as well, um, which includes the public. Great, thank you. Commissioner John. Thank you. Um, really good discussions on the online uh, resource directory, but I just want to step back and just kind of go back to the area plan in general. I just want to first of all say thank you. It was an excellent presentation. Um, it was really helpful for me to have a chance to review kind of the work that's been done and it's been going on and we will be doing. Um, and it, it was just really helpful to be able to just kind of get that all in, in one document. 
Um, I just have a question, and it really is just a question. Um, this is under uh, goal number three, uh, providing support consumer center programming to best address client needs. Uh, section objective section B, ensure programs are culturally appropriate for the city's diverse low-income older people and adults with disabilities. I was wondering under the update status that it would be appropriate to include the work that's been done with the listening sessions in terms of capturing um, information from our diverse population. Sure, I can address that. Yes, thank you. Sure. Um, thank, thanks for that question or that comment, Commissioner Zhang. Um, I think this is the the, the challenge when um, so many of our goals are overlapping. I think we have uh, updates that touch on multiple points. I think we can absolutely address um, our work with the BIPOC community listening sessions um, that I'll be presenting on shortly in this area. I will also just um, draw your attention to um, how we elevate this work in goal four. Um, so it is reflected in this document, um, but I think we can certainly make these connections a little bit stronger where they exist. That's so great. I, I, and I just want to, it's, it's excellent work that was done in the listening. I want to make sure we incorporate that in the different places that uh, we're doing that work. All right, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Any other commissioners comments on this important report? I just put one more sure. comment in the chat, and this is probably directed at um, Cindy Kaufman. Is in the RFP, do we have training as a requirement by the vendor who will win the bid? That was just the linkage back to, I got the train the trainer and where it'll be rolled out. So I'm just, I just want to make sure that training is a requirement in the RFP from the vendor who wins the, the, the list. So yeah, the in in the RFP we do we do have testing, we do have training, we have training for both internal users as well as community-based organizations. So those are parts of the um, the specific tasks and deliverables of the RFP. Perfect. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other commissioners on this report? And again, I just wanted to also, I was going to bring up online resource directly, but certainly don't need to because I think we're, we're going deep into the RFP at this point. So it, it but it, it underlines how important this is to us. Um, everyone on this commission is so affected by uh, a knowledge about what is available uh, to, by uh, DOS. We, we understand because we sit on the commission what is more about what is available. We just want to make sure that people are able to take advantage of that. And um, I think if there is any, any opportunity for uh, commissioners to either be part of a beta test or <laughs> anything uh, that's appropriate, uh, we probably step up into it. So uh, that's how the, how important it, it is to us. I think I also saw a lot a lot in this report, uh, things that uh, certainly address the mayor's initiatives around uh, trying to help the most vulnerable people in our communities, especially those who are uh, unhoused. And then um, all, all of the, exactly what Commissioner Jung talked about, uh, the, the wealth of information coming out of our BIPOC listening sessions, which is gonna make this report um, so important in the work that we do going forward, uh, just adding dimension to that. 
Um, and then also, I think it's going to be a singular achievement to provide trainings to our professionals in this community, as well as consumers around all of the resources that are uh, available through um, through this department. Uh, that that in, in itself is going to be uh, sort of a singular achievement. So thanks for underlining all of those things uh, in this presentation. It is excellent. Um, I I think that's probably it for our input. Um, hopefully you received a good amount. <laughs> and uh, otherwise, I think we're really supportive of, of this report. Um, so I think we now, if, unless there's other any other comments from commissioners, we'll move to uh, public comment on the report. Moderator, please open the phone lines for public comment on the FY20. 22-2023 area plan update. We will allow some time for callers to submit their request. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. All right, then. Hearing no further requests to speak on the item, we'll close the public comment. Uh, commissioners, the next agenda item is also an information only item. It is item 12 under new business presentation of the DOS listening sessions with communities of color report. And again, Adithi Valor will repeat this, will present this item. <laughs> Welcome again, Ms. Valor. Here we are. I see you. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Hello, um, hello again, commissioners. Um, just for, for the record, my name is Aditi Valor. I'm an analyst with the Human Services Agency Planning Unit, and I'll also be presenting this next item, which provides highlights from the department's October 2021 report summarizing findings and recommendations from our listening sessions with communities of color. Um, this presentation comes at a good time. We conducted these listening sessions over the summer as an opportunity to get a jump start on and to augment the 2022 Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment Report, which is going to be published next month. Um, so I'm really excited to share what we've learned from this process. Um, and I'll start similarly um, as we did with the area plan by giving you a short overview of the project background and process, and then share select highlights from our findings and recommendations. Um, I just wanna note that this was really extensive research and we had a lot of fun putting it together. Um, I won't be able, unfortunately, to speak to every item in the report or even on the slides that I'm presenting, but just want to note that these materials are available to you and available online if you're interested in learning more. So with, without further ado, I'm going to share my screen again and walk you through um, some slides to accompany my remarks. All right, um, are the slides visible to everybody? Yes. Perfect, thank you. All right, so as I mentioned, I'll be providing a brief overview of the project, um, sharing selection of our findings with respect to consumer service needs, barriers that consumers face when trying to access services, and issues of system uh, infrastructure and partnerships and potential gaps in these areas, and talk a little bit about the next steps that the department is taking to address these issues. So. The background for this report is really rooted 
even prior to the pandemic, um, coming out of the 2018 Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment and our sense that we needed to better understand the landscape of need and consumer engagement among older and disabled BIPOC San Franciscans. Um, we had produced a deep dive analysis of communities of color um, and LGBTQ identifying consumers um, following from the 2018 Community Needs Assessment. Um, we have maintained and continue to maintain feedback loops and, and channels of communication with community members of color and really saw um, a, a greater sense of energy and urgency around these issues, especially as the city also began to more explicitly prioritize and name racial equity as a goal for, for city departments and for the city at large. And then of course, we saw many racial inequities in our communities produced uh, or exacerbated by COVID-19. And so um, in 2021, DOS really wanted to make sure that we put this initiative front and center um, and also use it as an opportunity to jumpstart and get ahead of the 2022 Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment, knowing that we would also be conducting this assessment under a very different set of conditions for community engagement and stakeholder engagement. Um, so we conducted this work really to identify areas of need within BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities and the factors that shape their engagement with us. Um, so we wanted to answer the following questions in doing our research. What are the needs of older people and people with disabilities belonging to BIPOC communities? What are the barriers to participation that these individuals experience when they try to access DOS services or other resources for older people and people with disabilities? We wanted to know how they experience services. So how are our services effective in meeting their needs and how might they be improved? And then thinking more broadly at a systems level, how can DOS partner more effectively with BIPOC-led or primarily BIPOC-serving providers who are really a, re a critical point of connection and access and engagement with communities that might otherwise be harder for us to reach as a city department? So, in order to really dig deep into the nuances of what different communities of color experience, knowing that they are the majority of our clients, the majority of the San Francisco population um, of older people and people with disabilities are identifying as people of color, we decided to break out into population-specific project teams to really drill down on the unique and nuanced experiences um, of each of these groups. We focused on five populations, um, Asian, Black and African-American, Filipino and Pacific Islander individuals, Latinx and Hispanic identifying folks, and then LGBTQ identifying people of color. Um, and really that last focus at the intersection of gender sexuality and race and ethnicity um, was really being driven by our findings from the 2018 Community Needs Assessment for the Dignity Fund, um, where we are seeing significant trends of engagement from white identifying LGBTQ individuals, but much lower rates of participation and engagement from queer identifying people of color. Um, and so thought that we should really um, spend some focus here. Um, one of the other things that I think is really exciting to note is our approach that we took to this research project. This was staffed entirely by members of the DOS team across a number of different roles um, at, at the department. We had folks in leadership, as well as folks in direct service contexts, people with population expertise and experience 
working directly with the populations that we were hoping to serve. Um, and so this slide reflects the various contributors from our staff teams who are putting in um, 20 or more hours every month to um, take our research questions and actually operationalize them, to develop protocols for interviewing and conducting focus groups, to actually run those focus groups, to conduct the stakeholder engagement in partnership with our service provider network to identify people who can share their feedback with us. Um, and so this project would not have been possible without the contributions of these team members at an already very challenging time. And I just really wanted to take a moment to acknowledge their contributions. The timeline for this report was um, pretty lengthy. We began our project back in January um, of 2021 with the project kickoff um, and onboarding for our members. We spent um, spring and very early summer conducting participant outreach and developing protocols for our focus groups. And then in June and July, hosted those focus group and interview sessions and spent time parsing through our notes to identify common themes in the feedback that we heard. We used the fall to draft our summary report and published in October 2021. I'm sharing our findings with the public. They're available online um, and we've shared our report with you again prior to the commission meeting. Um, and we really encourage anyone who's interested to go online and download and read the full report. In all, we spoke to nearly 170 people. Um, we specifically engaged 70 older and disabled consumers from across these populations. Um, nearly half of whom spoke a primary language other than English. So we conducted our sessions in a language other than English and got feedback, took notes and processed that information in a language other than English. Um, we spoke to over 80 community leaders and professionals from the DOS Partner Network, um, other city agencies, folks from the universes of housing, health, immigrant services, and also the faith community who've been very engaged with us. And also spoke to a cross-section of DOS staff um, representing a mix of programs and roles at the department to also understand how our staff are perceiving and engaging with communities of color in our direct services. So now that we've talked a little bit about where this project came from and how we actually conducted the research, um, I want to share some findings with you. Um, like I mentioned, I'm only going to touch on one or two points from each of these areas. We conducted so many conversations that I can't you know, even if we were here for the rest of the day, I can't begin to scratch the surface of all of what we learned. Um, so I'm going to highlight just a few key themes in each major area. Um, with respect to consumer service needs, we learned a lot about social isolation and loneliness. Um, may not be surprising that isolation and loneliness were themes that were coming up uh, one and a half years into a global pandemic on top of an issue that we already know affects many older people and people with disabilities, especially in San Francisco, where um, the, the shape of our neighborhoods, the design of our homes may contribute to sense of isolation. Um, what really came across is how this uh, issue affects different populations though. Um, Black and African-American communities talked about how changes in neighborhood composition and demographic shifts driven by displacement of Black communities from the city really has fueled their sense of isolation um, because their neighbors are no longer their neighbors. Um, 
we heard from folks who felt a, a greater sense of isolation and loneliness because of barriers to access to technology um, and their inability to stay in touch with loved ones, especially at a time when in-person meetings may not have been possible. Um, we heard about how safety was a factor in people's sense of isolation and loneliness, um, especially with the rise of anti-Asian Pacific Islander hate violence, um, that some people were so fearful of leaving their homes that it was a choice between feeling isolated and feeling safe. And in those instances, many individuals chose isolation. Um, I think further kind of complicating this issue is just a broader need for mental health in, in our aging and disability communities. Um, and one African-American service provider noted that we need to think about social isolation in the context of grief, right? Especially when there have been so many losses in our communities due to COVID. Um, that we normally have outlets for our grief. We are able to um, grieve with loved ones, celebrate someone's life in person, and technology doesn't allow the intimacy that we need to actually sort of express and experience our grief. Um, and so many providers in particular, but consumers as well, sort of charted this linkage between isolation, loneliness, and the need for culturally appropriate mental health services now more than ever um, as a result of COVID-19. Perennial favorites, we always hear about need for housing and uh, affirming long-term care. I think the, the thing that I just want to briefly note here is that while these are common themes that we regularly hear about from the community, Again, we're hearing about greater nuances um, and culturally um, colored experiences and the need for affirming affordable, accessible resources across these really basic, basic needs in, in order for housing or long-term care to fully, truly meet people's needs. Um, I mentioned safety earlier. Um, safety really came up quite frequently in our conversations um, with particularly with the Asian Pacific Islander communities, with Filipino communities, um, but even just broadly across um, our, our consumers and providers, basic issues of safety that have less to do with someone's racial or ethnic identification, but also just to do with the changing conditions of our city. Um, that poor sidewalk conditions or the challenges of navigating around large tent encampments if you have mobility issues, um, fears about open air drug use and the pervasiveness of needles on the street um, are also contributing to people's general sense that it's not safe to leave their homes or that they need accompaniment to services. Um, so not only did we hear about safety in the context of racialized violence during the pandemic, but we also heard about safety concerns that are not likely to go away when the pandemic ends um, that have more to do with ongoing issues and challenges with our city. Moving on to some select barriers to accessing services, I think uh, this concern around uh, awareness of resources or rather a lack of awareness and the challenges of service navigation continue to be a really important and pervasive theme for us. Um, I think our focus on the online resource directory item, for instance, from our discussion on the area plan update was really echoed here. Um, so I think one of the things that we were really hearing and, and what was being reinforced with us was not just that there may be a limited knowledge of our service network and the ways in which to get access, 
but also that this sense of frustration and disconnection actually contributes to people feeling like they're further marginalized, right? Um, if people don't know where to go and get resources or they feel like resources are not being made available to them, they're even less likely to come to us and they feel like they're in it on their own. Um, and so it, it seems especially crucial for us as we're thinking about how to provide culturally responsive um, navigation support for individuals as we build out tools like our online resource directory that we're um, making sure that we tailor and align these types of resources to meet the needs of the various populations that we serve. Another issue that was really coming up for us um, that we don't get to hear about quite as often or quite as explicitly um, were issues of intersectionality and inclusion as a really significant barrier to some consumers participating in our services. Um, consumers really wanted to emphasize to us that they are multidimensional, um, that they have many different identities um, and they all exist at the same time. But sometimes they don't feel like they can be their whole selves in their whole personness um, when they seek support. So for instance, some non-Chinese, um, Asian, American, and Pacific Islander consumers noted that they don't always feel seen or heard by our existing service networks because the Chinese population is so much larger and that the API umbrella doesn't really serve them, right? They need greater specificity because otherwise the numbers game doesn't work in their favor. Um, Black and African-American individuals noted frustrations with sometimes being seen as monolithic and not as individuals um, with varied experiences within, again, this really broad label or term that we use to try to understand their issues and needs. Um, one LGBT senior who participated in our focus groups noted this really challenging and, and harrowing tension between being a queer person in senior spaces that may not be fully able to accommodate his identity um, and feeling stigmatized and potentially having to go back into the closet to access services for someone who is aging. But on the other hand, feeling that HIV specific organizations, this person was an HIV long-term survivor, that HIV organizations haven't adapted to the fact that their population that they're serving is aging. And so they may be able to provide services through an LGBT forward lens, but are not thinking about their consumers in the same way as aging people. So all of a sudden, this consumer is in a bind. Do I go and access services at a senior center that may not see me wholly as a queer senior? Or do I access services at an HIV organization that understands my needs as an LGBTQ identifying person, but may not understand my needs as an, as an older person? Um, so these are, are really significant tensions that make it challenging for people to participate with us and keep coming back to services. Finally, just want to touch on a couple of system level issues that came up. Um, one is uh, issues of system coordination. Um, we really heard from providers and from consumers that we really need to do more to strengthen partnerships with our key partners in the city, um, particularly in public health and in the housing contexts, but also thinking about strategic partnerships with the faith community to make sure that we're really penetrating into communities that need our support and are helping to connect them with trusted resources because 
especially among some communities of color, there's not always trust with a government agency. And so we need those partnerships to make sure that people can get through the door and access resources that they need to get help. Um, we also really heard uh, a need reinforced for us, information that of course we already know, but it's, it's always important to hear this in the community's voice, that we need to make sure that we're including people with disabilities across the full spectrum of disability in all of our services. Um, so making sure that we have more intentionally inclusive programming and culture. Um, so people addressed things like our forthcoming Disability Cultural Community Center, um, the need for accessibility 101 training among our providers um, and, and partners as well. And then finding other opportunities to improve the seamlessness of services for people with disabilities. Um, so making sure that we are really putting uh, a consumer need centric focus um, for our people with disabilities in our service portfolio. So we heard so, so, so much. Uh, I think it's also important to say not just what we learned, but what we plan to do about it. So in our report, we outlined 12 recommendations that cut across the areas of consumer needs, barriers, and system level gaps. Um, and so in this context, we are really thinking about how to leverage our, our learning and our recommendations from our BIPOC listening sessions um, to inform any and all strategic planning that happens at the agency. Um, our findings were being developed right around the time we were developing our action plan for fiscal year 2021-22, our current fiscal year. And so we used some of these recommendations to shape our action plan. Um, as I've mentioned to you previously, our findings and recommendations from this um, set of listening sessions are going to be instrumentally informing the Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment for 2022 that's coming out next month. And that will in turn shape our service and allocation plan where the department is setting priorities and determining how to leverage our funds to support services for the next four years. So these recommendations are not going anywhere and they're gonna to continue to feed into our thinking and our planning and our prioritization for how we meet community needs, including the needs of people of color. Um, so I just wanted to highlight a couple ways in which these recommendations are reflected or shining through our action plan for the current year. Um, I mentioned the Disability Community Cultural Center, the implementation for which is currently ongoing. Um, Executive Director Dearman touched on HomeSafe and the online resource directory in our last presentation. And so I think you're also seeing how these pieces all fit together. We really don't want to treat any one of these activities as standalone or sort of separate from one another. Um, they all are mutually reinforcing. Um, we're developing our community outreach plan um, with innovative strategies to engage BIPOC communities. This is where that that notion of tailoring our outreach and engagement with different populations comes through. Um, and so we've made some progress this year supported by our partnership with Civic Bridge to think through how to streamline our messaging and make sure that it is better and more appropriately suited to different populations and audiences. And then we're also thinking about from a partnership level, how can we as a department support smaller organizations, especially those that are BIPOC-led and BIPOC-focused, to compete for city contracts when this is a really challenging and bureaucratic landscape that may be tough for organizations that do exactly what we need them to do to break in. So what can we do to bring down some of those systemic barriers um, and make sure that we're cultivating really smart and strategic partnerships? 
So I've said a lot, um, I've, I've covered a lot of ground, but I do want to open the floor again for um, some discussion, um, comments, feedback. Okay, well, thank you, Aditi Valor. Are there any comments or questions from the commission on this report? Could be you covered things so well. <laughs> I would just like to make a note then, uh, this is an absolutely groundbreaking report um, in so many ways. And uh, from the methodology used where it incorporated staff, uh, what came through is uh, certainly we cannot say these are, are uh, mindless bureaucrats working in this organization, but this was people with real heart and soul and commitment um, that, that, that did, I know, go to a lot of extra meetings and really uh, push themselves to put together this very, very meaningful report. Um, it, it has so many innovations and so many uh, really great findings that I think are going to assist us in the future. Uh, I, I just will skim through um, things that, about AAPI violence, uh, is, uh, the dis isolation in a community that people grew up where they were comfortable living uh, and no longer feel that way. Um, certainly, uh, the comments uh, uh, made about public safety are the, the best description of what is happening in San Francisco that I have seen. Um, it, 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 it is just not a one-dimensional problem. It's many, many dimensions to this. So I really appreciate that. And then um, all of the work done to incorporate, as we call uh, as we term it, intersectionality of the LGBT plus communities uh, with, with other communities that are marginalized in San Francisco uh, is, is again, uh, just one of the, I'm, I'm just sort of skimming through <laughs> the, the uniqueness of this report and the groundbreaking aspect of it. So uh, I just wanna say thank you on behalf of this commission for all the work and uh, we're gonna we take this in and, uh, and I can see it being integrated into the work and the goals that we were planning. So anything else from commissioners on this report? Uh, Commissioner Jung, yeah. President Knudsen, I, I just want to echo all the comments you made. Uh, I think this is a really excellent, uh, excellent work, excellent project um, done in a time much needed uh, to be to 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 reach uh, into the community and engage and get a lot of uh, good conversations, heart to heart conversations going on. And I, I was just very much impressed uh, with this work. And I think this uh, really provides a lot of guidance uh, foundation um, to the work that DOS continues to do. Um, and in terms of the importance of racial equity and inclusion uh, uh, from all the different orientations, sexual, racial, uh, ethnicity that um, is, is just really important um, and, and provides very valuable information. So thank you. Thank you to you and to uh, the staff and uh, just for excellent work that was done. Anything else? Commissioners, we'll turn it over to uh, opportunity for public comment then. Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on the DOS listening sessions with Communities of Color Report. 
will allow some time for the callers to submit their request. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Yes, Mr. Secretary, uh, I have one call. I am transferring over. Thank you. Hello, caller, your three minutes begin now. Uh, my name is Francisco da Costa, and I've heard this uh, presentation very intently. I think that this report is a very detailed report, but offers no practicality. Because of the pandemic, we all know that we must stay away from congregate situations. So the best way to address this report and execute it is through a platform, a digital platform that allows those segments of our population who are hurting a lot, mostly seniors, and I'm a senior, to offer them an opportunity to express themselves. Anyone can write a lengthy report. You may have heard about an acronym, Get It Simple Stupid. KISS. Get It Simple Stupid. Which means we have to make things simple and not complicated. When you have a long report, with it comes a lot of things that are convoluted. That's what you all do easily. That's why, you know, you've listened to this long report, and most of you all have no recommendations for a solution. Oh, it's a good report. Of course it's a good report. But how practical it is. Who does this, does this lengthy report offer solutions quickly? Do we have offices, say, two or three offices, one for straight, one for any other of the segments of the population that we have to help in each of our neighborhoods? We have a 13, maybe a 14 billion dollar budget. Why are we treating our seniors with disdain? So these are the things that y'all have to execute. Hello caller, you have 30 seconds remaining. Yeah, thank you for your measly two minutes or three minutes that you've given me. Are there any other uh, public comments? President Knudsen, there are no callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. Uh, then hearing no further requests to speak on the item, we'll close public comment. Um, and thank you again for the reports today. Uh, commissioners will move on to items 12A through 12F that are action items that do require a vote by the commission, uh, disability and aging, uh, DOS commission nominating committee recommendations and a vote to uh, 
reelect uh, and nominate uh, committee chair and uh, vice vice chair, vice president, president and vice president, and we'll turn this over to our nominating committee chair, uh, Commissioner Nelson Lum. Uh, yes, um, with the assistance of uh, uh, Secretary E, um, I I was able to, even though we did not have the nominating committee did not have a meeting, uh, but I was able to contact the uh, the rest of the members through email, and we unanimously uh, uh, nominate our current president Martha Knessen and our current vice president Janice Spears for another term. All right, well, thank you very much. Uh, are there any comments or questions from the commission? Seeing none, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to comment on agenda item A? Moderator, please open the phone lines for public comment on agenda item A. We will allow some time for callers to submit their request. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. And hearing no further requests to speak on the item, is there a motion um, to approve item A from commissioners? So moved. I'll, I'll call on Commissioner uh, Lum as the mover of this motion. And I think I, Commissioner Sklar seconded. So as Mr. Secretary, can you please take a roll call vote to approve item A? President Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Janet Y. Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Brittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Zhang, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Scar, how do you vote? Yes. We have a unanimous decision. All right. Well, thank you, Commissioners. And I think I'm joined by uh, Vice President Spears in saying uh, it's an absolute privilege to serve on this commission uh, with my wonderful fellow commissioners who always contribute and are prepared and I think make this hopefully make this uh, a department a, a little bit better <laughs> by our support and, and attention. Um, and uh, also uh, getting to serve and meet uh, the wonderful staff and our executive director uh, is just an absolute best part of my life right now. So, so thank you so much for that. And uh, I look forward to uh, a year of transition as we move people back into public spheres uh, and take it uh, one step at a time, carefully, but gladly. Uh, I think it will be, be a good thing to be able to do that. So I look forward to that too. And then continuing to work uh, for the priorities of uh, Mayor London Breed uh, through this commission. So I appreciate that as well. Um, so I think unless uh, Commissioner Vice President Spears had anything she wanted to add uh, to that. No, I'll just say thank you to my fellow commissioners for um, the opportunity to serve um, yet another year in this vice president role. So uh, in the interest of time, that's all, all I right. have to say. We'll plow on and do our agenda here. All right. Um, the next order of business is agenda item B and requires a vote by the commission requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Meals on Wheels of San Francisco for the provision of isolation and quarantine free food delivery helpline in the home delivered meal 
HDM nutrition services for adults with disability during the period of March 1st, 2022 through August 31st, 2022 in the additional amount of 750,000 plus a 10% contingency for a revised total amount not to exceed $6,031,311. And this item will be presented by Cindy Lynn. And I see Ms. Lynn, welcome. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Cindy Lin, and I'm the manager of the food coordination team. My team was formed as a part of the city's response to COVID-19. Our core task during the height of COVID-19 was to respond to urgent food needs of, of the community. And since then, we have transitioned to addressing food insecurity in San Francisco. We support programs and strategies that address food access issues that span across all populations within the city. Today, I am here to seek authorization to modify the existing grant with Meals on Wheels of San Francisco for the period of March 1st, 2022 through August 31st, 2022, in the additional amount of $750,000 plus a 10% contingency for a revised amount to not exceed $6,031,311. This will temporarily include the work of the city's COVID-19 isolation quarantine food helpline, which was set up during the early stages of the pandemic to provide food support for San Franciscans and their households so that they can safely isolate and quarantine at home after exposure to COVID-19 or after a positive diagnosis. Meals on Wheels was awarded the grant to operate the IQ food helpline through a request for qualifications procurement back in May of 2020. That grant will be fully expended earlier than anticipated due to the recent Omicron surge, and it has no further authorization to extend. This current modification will avoid an immediate disruption of the IQ food helpline and will continue the support to those who are directed to quarantine at home in order to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Upon further guidance from the city leadership and pending COVID caseloads of the summer, we will procure the operations of the IQ helpline should the service be needed past August 2022. To date, the IQ helpline has helped over 8,500 households safely isolate and quarantine in their homes by delivering meals and tailored groceries to those who have tested positive or have been exposed to someone with COVID-19. Meals on Wheels has done an incredible job of ramping up services during the months of surges and has been a critical partner in the city's COVID response efforts. They have worked seamlessly with vendors to provide culturally responsive foods to those seeking food support, including working with other vendors to provide over 3,250 grocery bags that cater to the Latinx food preference. It has been incredibly impactful as almost 50% of all referrals to the IQ Food Helpline are from those who identify as Latinx. Meals on Wheels has been able to serve all of San Francisco but their capacity to serve communities disproportionately affected by COVID can be seen in our data, which shows that 50% of all services provided year to date have been in the Southeast areas of the city where COVID has hit the hardest. We look forward to continuing our partnership with them through this modification. Thank you commissioners for your consideration. I am happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Great, thank you, Cindy Lynn. Um, are there any comments or questions from the commission? on this item. All right, then seeing none, um, is there anyone from the public who wishes to comment on agenda item B? 
moderator, please open the phone line for public conduct comments on agenda item B. We will allow some time for callers to submit their request. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, we have no callers in the queue. Thank you. All right, hearing no further requests to speak on this item, um, is there a motion to approve item B? I move. Okay, uh, from Commissioner uh, Bittner has been moved, and I think I saw a second from Commissioner Jung. Uh, Mr. Secretary, can you please take a roll call to approve item B? President Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Brittner, how do you vote? Yeah. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Squire, how do you vote? Yes. It's a unanimous vote. Great, thank you. Um, commissioners, the next order of business is agenda item C, which also requires a vote by the commission. It's requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with the San Francisco Marin Food Bank for the provision of home delivered grocery program during the period of March 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2025 in the additional amount of $630,073 plus a 10% contingency for a revised total amount not to exceed $4,419,127. And Tiffany Kearney will present this item. Welcome, Ms. Kearney. Nice to see you. Hi, hi, thank you. Um, good morning, commissioners, President Knudsen and Executive Director Dearman. Um, as mentioned, my name is Tiffany Kearney. I'm a nutritionist with the department. I'm asking the commission to review and approve a modification to San Francisco Marin Food Bank's uh, DOS funded grant for home delivered groceries, also known as our HDG program. This grant has several components, including the management of a central intake process, the maintenance of a wait list, and the coordination of HDG services uh, citywide for DOS clients. The food bank um, also establishes partnerships with community organizations to provide home delivered grocery services uh, citywide. These components are essential and support the provision of the program. Another component of the food bank's HDG grant is their own delivery service that has grown exponentially since the pandemic. When we first brought this uh, grant to the Commission for approval in July of 21, we were able to include additional funding um, in year one for, um, from an allocation in the mayor's budget, specifically for nutrition support um, because of the ongoing pandemic, the surge in demand, and um, an overall increase in food insecurity among San Franciscans. The need for HDG remains elevated for our clients and is not projected to decrease next fiscal year. As a result, we are requesting the Commission's approval to add funding to the Food Bank's HDG grant that will allow them to continue to provide this vital nutrition support next year. With the added funding, they will be able to deliver a little over 51,000 more grocery bags to at least 652 more DOS clients. Thank you for your time and consideration. If you have any questions, I will do my best to answer them now. Thank you. All right, thank you, Ms. Kearney. Are there any comments or questions from the commission? 
this item. I'm sorry, very minor question. I just want to clarify: Is this uh, modification just for one time? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. For and it's uh, it's it's uh, it, the service units are added to next year. Right. Right. I noticed that. Okay. Great. I just want to confirm. Thank you. Uh huh. Sure. Thank you. Any other commissioner questions on this item? And do we have anyone from the public who wishes to comment on agenda item C? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on agenda item C. We will allow some time for callers to submit their request. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Great, then hearing no further requests to speak on the item, we'll close public comment. Uh, is there a motion to approve item C from commissioners? I move. Okay. Second. Uh, moved by Commissioner Bittner, seconded by Commissioner Sklar. Uh, Mr. Secretary, can you please take a roll call vote to approve item C? President Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Zhang, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Lasclar, how do you vote? Yes. Unanimous vote. Great, thank you. Um, Commissioner, the next order of business is agenda item D and also requires a vote by the commission requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Eviction Defense Collaborative for the provision of continuing housing subsidies for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of March 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2024 in the amount of $5,192,504 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $5,711,754. And Hannah Blanton will present this item. Welcome, Ms. Blanton. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners, Executive Director Dearman. My name is Hannah Blanton, Program Analyst with Office of Community Partnership, here today seeking your approval for continuing housing subsidies for older adults and adults with disabilities. Since 2015, DOS has served older adults and adults with disabilities with housing subsidies to provide financial assistance to improve housing stability. Q Foundation was the inaugural provider for our housing subsidy program, and after several years with DOS and decades of housing advocacy work in our community, the organization is moving away from direct services and ending all contracts within the city and county of San Francisco. We thank Q Foundation for their many years of dedication to this crucial program area and wish them well on their upcoming endeavors. But with their departure, this leaves a provider gap for the 205 older adults and adults with disabilities that are currently being served by this program. Through RFP 974, we've identified a new provider, Eviction Defense Collaborative. Eviction Defense Collaborative is a new provider to DOS, but comes with great experience in providing both rental and legal assistance to prevent evictions in San Francisco. Our office is extremely excited to work with them and ensure a smooth transition for the existing participants and support Eviction Defense Collaborative as they step in to provide this critical service. 
This grant agreement will allow us to transition the existing 205 participants from Q Foundation to Eviction Defense Collaborative so that they may continue to have housing subsidies paid on their behalf. I look forward to your approval of this item and welcome any questions that you may have. Great, thank you, Ms. Blanton. Are there any comments or questions from the commission? Uh, Commissioner Jung. I just have a question. Um, my uh, highest concern regarding this is just the transition from the previous uh, grantee to the new one. Who will be um, overseeing to ensure that there's no, um, that that transition will be a smooth one and that there won't be any gap in terms of- Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so that will be my my personal um, role in this transition and supporting the program administration. Um, so I am dedicated to working with the existing provider and transitioning the information to the new provider. Um, we've decided to operate that in a pretty specific way, which is that our exiting provider will submit all of the information to DOS. That information is then prepared to transition to the new provider. Um, and so we've been working on that plan and um, Q Foundation is responsible to continue payments until May 1st. Um, and so by approving this grant agreement today, we'll be able to get um, Eviction Defense Collaborative started up with um, the necessary materials and their ability to pay. Um, so we'll have you know the next two months to um, really make sure that each participant is aware of the transition and that each landlord associated with that participant is also made aware um, and that there should be no gaps in, in providing the, the payments. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions from commissioners? If not, seeing none, uh, anyone from the public who wishes to comment on agenda item D? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on agenda item D. We will allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Great, then hearing no further requests to speak on this item, we'll close public comment. Is there a motion to um, approve um, item D? Uh, from Commissioner Jung, a second from Vice President Spears. Uh, Mr. Secretary, can you please take a roll call vote to approve item D? President Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Brittner, how do you vote? Yeah. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Lasclar, how do you vote? Yes. It's a unanimous vote. <laughs> Can people hear me? Yes. Okay, I got, I, I'm not visual anymore because my, my computer tried to do a phone call. So I'm just gonna continue. Um, we had finished with item D, right? So uh, agenda item E uh, requires a vote by the commission requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with multiple providers for the provision of congregate nutrition support for older adults and adults with disabilities 
during the period of March 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2025, in the amount of $880,925 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $969,017. And Tiffany Kearney will be presenting this item. Thank you. Hello again, commissioners, Executive Director Dearman. I am now seeking your approval for two nutrition, nutrition grants for uh, congregate meal programs in District 11. Improving geographic access to quality nutrition support is a key priority for the department. Many older adults and adults with disabilities were experiencing food insecurity prior to the pandemic. The pandemic has created more food insecurity among DOS consumers. The pandemic also reinforced the significance of nutrition support programming in the community and unders underscored the importance of access. These two new um, congregate meal programs will increase access to affordable, healthy, and culturally relevant foods for DOS consumers in District 11. One grant is with self-help for the elderly and the other is with Southwest Community Corporation. Both self-help and Southwest will offer consumers an opportunity to sit down, enjoy a hot meal and socialize in a communal dining setting in what we hope is not the so distant future. Um, in the meantime, they'll both be able to provide meals to go Self-Help's program will um, be located at the Geneva Community Center, located um, between the Outer uh, Mission and Excelsior neighborhoods. Southwest uh, program is located at the IT Bookman Community uh, Center, located in the OMI neighborhood. Self-Help's menus will offer uh, Chinese cuisine, and Southwest will be building upon a pilot program they launched earlier during the pandemic and offer a few different cuisines that, they're, um, that they know that their clients enjoy. Like all of our congregate programs, the meals will meet nutritional standards and provide key nutrients for um, the DOS population. The meals will be prepared in commercial kitchens that are monitored and evaluated quarterly for food safety and sanitation that is a, cru a crucial component when delivering nutrition support to high-risk populations. The clients will also be screened for nutrition risk and food security, and nutrition education will be provided. Again, I kindly ask the commission to um, approve uh, these two grants. Thank you for your time, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you so much, Ms. Kearney. Are there any comments or questions from the commission on this item? Commissioner Jung. Um, I, I just have uh, two questions. One, I noticed um, this is specifically for um, nutrition services meals in District 11. How was the need identified? Was there no um, meals program in, in District 11 or? Um, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Thank you. Yeah, district, um, you know, there are a few districts um, that um, have, for various different reasons, have been identified, especially the outer districts where there's, there's a much higher demand um, and congregate meal sites, um, you know, have not been available. The Geneva Health, the, Gene the new Geneva 
a community center presented an opportunity to um, provide services at the at the new center and specifically at IT Bookman there there was just an extraordinary demand for nutrition services there and um, and that is actually that program is is a um, sort of a second meal program they have a breakfast program or not a breakfast sorry a lunch program um, that is provided by um, Project Open Hand and this is a um, sort of a, a an evening program or an, an an evening program that provides a second a second meal to those who really need it. Question: okay. um, In terms of the site, these are existing sites with services already provided, other services, and then the meal is now going to be part of uh, like they're expanding their programs. And to provide, uh, you, you mentioned the breakfast and now they're doing a later meal. So these are existing centers that people are already going to. The IT Bookman is, but not the Geneva Community Center. That it's, that's a new, uh, a new, that is a completely new site for us. So we're very excited um, that Self-Help will be launching a congregate meal program um, there. Okay, okay. So um, in terms of the new uh, site, uh, how is outreach being going to let let um, people know in that area that um, there was this there was this there will be this uh, food program there? Um, yeah, self help is also going to be doing community services in that uh, site. So uh, so self help will be conducting outreach um, to the general population. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. And that and service there is supposed to start. Um, um, in I think like the opening is supposed to be April 1st. Oh, okay. Okay. So they're just gearing up now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're super excited. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions or comments from other commissioners? I'm seeing none. And do we have anyone from the public who wishes to make a comment on this item? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on agenda item F. We will allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, yes, we do. I am transferring the call now. Thank you. Hello, caller. Your three minutes begin now. Hi, thank you. This is Felicia Thibodeau, the Executive Director for Southwest Community Corporation at IT Bookman. And I'm very pleased to be before you um, to get the meal program funded. I'm so glad that you asked the question as to who, over the pandemic, our number from our, our congregate lunch went from 40 to 304 individuals. The pandemic is now um, trying to be in our rear view and those clients are still there. In the Southwest sector, especially the, the Randolph Broad Street corridor, minimal restaurants, minimal nonprofits. We did not have a grocery store, although now we do have one, which is called H Mart. But it um, very steep hill terrain, very um, inaccessibility that even if our seniors go to the grocery store, they have no way once they get to the IT Bookman stop to get in and over the hills. So we really like to do our programming 
for community services around meals so that when a senior dare to come off the hill, they can receive community services as well as a nutritional option, both being an attraction to the community center as well as an opportunity for us to engage them because of the steep and hilly terrain. So I um, appreciate your vote of confidence for this meal program. It is definitely needed. Thank you, caller. You're welcome. Are there any other public comments? President Knudsen, there are no other callers in the queue. Okay, great. Uh, we always appreciate those public comments, so thank you for taking the time to do that. Um, uh, hearing no further requests to speak on the item, uh, is there a motion to approve item E? I move. Uh, from Commissioner Bittner moved, and I think I saw a second from Commissioner Jung. Uh, Mr. Secretary, can you please take the roll call vote to approve item E? President Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Lasclar, how do you vote? Yes. It's a unanimous vote. Great, thank you so much. Um, commissioners, the next order of business is agenda item F and requires a vote by the commission requesting approval of a sole source waiver exemption and authorization to enter into a new sole source grant with San Francisco in-home supportive services public authority for the provision of independent provider IP mode in-home supportive services for the period of July 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2026 in the amount of 300 $195,190,609 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $434,709,670. And Jill Nielsen will present this item. Welcome, Ms. Nielsen. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, President Knudsen and Vice President Spears, Commissioners, Executive Director Dearman. I'm Jill Nielsen, Deputy Director of Programs with DOS. And although I'm here in Krista Gaeta, our IHSS Program Director's place, I have to say it's a real privilege for me to have the opportunity to bring this critically important contract to all of you for your consideration. This sole source grant to the San Francisco IHSS Public Authority really represents the, the lifeblood of our IHSS program. The majority of the funding for this contract supports the wages, medical and dental benefits for almost 23,500 independent providers in San Francisco, individuals who provide vital personal and domestic care services to almost 24,500 IHSS consumers who are currently using the independent provider mode of service. And as you probably know, the IHSS program is a really key support that facilitates the ability for individuals with functional needs to retain as much independence as possible and to reside in the community. Also, IHSS is a really important workforce program, both here in San Francisco and across the state. Funding for this contract also supports key activities of the IHSS Public Authority staff um, the primary activity is maintaining a registry of independent providers who are seeking to connect to an IHSS consumer and work as an independent provider. 
I'm sure you're all you all know that the shortage of home care workers has been uh, a very difficult reality in California really for decades, but the pandemic has significantly exacerbated the problem. Um, and the public authority is struggling now to maintain the robust, robust registry that we are used to. Um, in response, the proposed budget accounts for two additional um, new key staff positions, um, including a recruitment manager and a community engagement coordinator. Um, and those positions will be responsible for conducting innovative and intensive community outreach focused on recruiting new IPs for the registry. Um, additionally, the requested funding will support the ability for the public authority to continue to operate their mentorship program, which allows them to help consumers um, who, who need some support hiring and maintaining their independent provider. Um, the public authority also administers a one-stop resource center um, for independent providers, and the center is um, aiming to provide support, assistance, career-focused uh, workshops, and other resources uh, for independent providers. And finally, the uh, requested funding supports some basic core activities that the public authority is required to carry out, um, such as providing uh, fingerprinting and background check services, as well as coordinating the activities of the IHSS public authority governing body. So today I'm seeking your approval to move forward with this sole source contract. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Um, so I just have a comment. Yeah, I'm, please. Um, I'm on the public authority governing board. I'm also an IHSS client and I wouldn't be here today talking to you if I didn't have someone getting me up in the morning and getting me ready. And it is a set of the resource and I'm so worthwhile. We are experiencing a lot of issues because of the pandemic. And I'm so excited about the prospect of um to express that because we really need it because we need a more robust registry and we need to find an effective ways um to reach people so um I know I'm not asking any questions, and I know we're running a little late, but I just couldn't not comment on this item. Thank you so much, Commissioner Bittner, for your comments, and thank you for serving on the IHSS Governing Board. Um, and I really appreciate the, your comment about how important the, the IHSS service program is. Um, it, it really is a, a wonderful program that impacts, you know, so many San Franciscans. Um, and, you know, the workforce issues are, as you're pointing out, are real. So, um, I mean, we feel grateful that we have wonderful partners at the Public Authority. They're doing all that they can to try to find new ways to recruit. And um, I know they are always open to new ideas. Um, and so we are, you know, we're hopeful that we'll 
be able to um, continue to to recruit more IPs moving forward, and these new positions should help. All right, thank you so much, uh, Commissioner Lum. Um, Thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, and obviously, there, there's a great need for services. Uh, looking at this huge sum of money that, you know, that we are being asked to allocate, is there any uh, projections as to income? Are we going? Are we going to have that kind of funding? Um, uh, thank you for your question, uh, Commissioner Lum. The the IHSS program is a Medi-Cal waiver program. We're able to leverage federal and state funding. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, we, have, we basically have to pay a, uh, a capped amount through our maintenance of effort. Um, and so, you know, we absolutely will have this funding. Um, and, you know, it's a very important um, part of the state's budget. And we're really thankful that um, you know, in California, we have this robust um, Medi-Cal waiver program. Most states don't have a program like this, but thanks to the backing of federal and state funding, um, we, we should have the money allocated. Um, you know, I will say that the, um, we bargained the conditions that relate to the IPs a few years ago, that contract will, um, with SEIU will end in 2023. Um, so there is the possibility that we may need to come back to the commission um, and, uh, and request additional funding. And that will really depend on whether the, the contract is, is reopened, um, whether any of those conditions change. Um, the wages of the independent providers are slated to go up to $18.75 starting um, July 1st, um, and then after that, um, when our contract expires at the end of June 2023, um, you know, increases to wages would really be based on the consumer price index. Am I the one to make um, and let the government um, give me the new um, point um, to get, um, um, Let's see you, um, there was like from Governor Newsom and the administration, there was a bunch of money put into any of that, and I think some of it did go in the public authority, so, um, and then within the American Rescue Plan, I don't know. I'm very big thumb of that window too, so there was money allocated and it is a lot of money, but it's of the um, critical need in the community because I would be here today if I didn't have a care, I might be in an institution and um, that is not acceptable to me, though. You know, you know, I know we always get the money question with it, but and also about quality of life and the the yeah, that we can live in the community and you know, be 
Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Bittner. Um, and the I, I, I'm not sure if I'm referring exactly to the funding that you were referencing, but I will say the state is making um, a new investments in the IHSS program. Um, and in fact, we are anticipating bringing back next month for your consideration, um, the emergency on-call backup program that the um, public authority also operates for us. Um, San Francisco is one of a handful of counties that has operated a backup system for um, to benefit consumers who may need um, a substitute independent provider. Um, and the state is finally providing funding to incentivize other counties to develop and operate these systems as well. Um, and so that's really exciting to, to see. Um, and there's also funding that the state has um, allocated, but has not yet released um, to provide training to independent um, providers as well. So it is really exciting to see these new investments that um, that the state is making in the IHSS program. Okay, great. Um, appreciate all the input by commissioners on this very important um, contract or approval. Um, do we have any other comments from commissioners? And if not, we'll move to public comment on this item. Moderator, please open the phone line for public comments on agenda item G. We'll allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Mr. Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Thank you. All right, then hearing no further requests to speak on the item, uh, we will pu close public comment. Is there a motion to approve item F from mm -hmm. Commissioner, Commissioner Bittner? Thank you. Yeah. A second from Vice President Spears. Um, uh, Mr. Secretary, can you please take a roll call vote to approve item F? President Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Brittner, how do you vote? Yes, of course. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. Yeah. It's a unanimous vote. Okay, great, thank you. Are there any announcements? Commissioners or staff, all right. Um, then I am going to adjourn. Thank you again for <laughs> staying, uh, all the staff input for this important meeting, the important reports we heard, and the important uh, uh, items that we approved today. So we hope to actually be some of us in person uh, next uh, month, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, seeing people I haven't seen in a while and meeting people I have only met on Zoom. Uh, for commissioners, uh, we are going to have a hybrid uh, meeting, so we'll work on that. For anyone that's not comfortable uh, in attending or any staff, well, we're going to make this happen, uh, and I look forward to working on that. So until next month, I hope everyone stays well, and I'll adjourn this meeting. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.